All right, guys, I am back. I uh, just came back from the happiest place on earth. That is Disney World. Although, quick pro tip, if you go in July, be warned that it feels like you're sticking your head in the dryer after the clothes have come out. Uh, It's a bit warm, but on to more important things. Welcome to the Fake It Till You Make It podcast. It's good to be back. So this week, I had the honor and the privilege of interviewing Claire Bird. Claire is the Senior Director of Enablement at Twilio, and uh, this episode is absolutely awesome. Thank you so much, Claire, for being on it. I think she drops tons of knowledge around sales enablement in general, uh, kind of how that role is evolving. Her background, fun fact, she used to be in the food and beverage industry as a private chef and uh, has also led marketing teams at Envision and Noosh, where she was a content director there. So Claire comes to us with uh, a a wealth of knowledge, not only in in the content marketing and sales enablement, but in the branding world. And so I'm super excited for you guys to hear this episode. Uh, So kind of as I mentioned, Claire had a past life as a chef. And if you've done some digging, you may know that about her too. But what was most fascinating to me was how she's taken Clayton Christensen's job-to-be-done framework and blended it in with her training and expertise from her days in the kitchen. So I moved to the Bay Area 10 years ago to be a private chef. I've worked in a bunch of Bay Area restaurants, and my ultimate goal is, again, to be back in the kitchen. But now that I'm in technology, I kind of dove into this world pretty drastically unprepared. So all of the methodology that I actually bring to the table in a technology go-to-market role is actually pulled straight out of the kitchen. So within the, the context of a, like a commercial kitchen environment, there's a concept of mise en place, which means everything in its place, which is, you know, everything that needs to get done to produce a specific product, a, like final finished product that you hand to a customer in tiny, tiny pieces and elements. You also know what processes need to be completed in what order and at what time by which people to make that thing actually coalesce at the same time. So it's actually very similar to the jobs to be done framework, but from my perspective, the way I've always thought about it has been from the perspective of the kitchen, a group of people working together to achieve a discrete outcome that has a specific commercial value to a human in the world. And I bring that methodology with me everywhere I go. It's how I build marketing programs, sales enablement programs, content programs. (laughs) Uh, It's how I build teams. There's everything that I do is actually based on that model. And what's fascinating to me is that when Claire was hired at Twilio, it was to help build out a competitive intelligence and marketing program. That lasted all about four weeks. When Twilio's management decided to hire 100 sales members in seven months. So Claire was tapped to shepherd them to the API promised land. And so kind of going back to the jobs to be done framework, here's how she thinks about sales enablement. The, the way that I thought about it initially was what is the job that needs to be done? understand deeply that job that needs to be done from the perspective of the job doer and then build the stuff they need to actually do that job. So for us, uh, to give a concrete example at Twilio, Twilio is an API company. APIs are very abstract and hard to sell. They're also not a traditional quote unquote product. They're a piece of functionality. And so I decided that the job to be done from the perspective of a salesperson joining at Twilio is that they need to understand APIs well enough to explain them to a customer and they need to be able to, their job is to prove the value of that solution to a potential customer. 
So I worked backwards from there to understand like, what are the critical inf pieces of information people need to know about all of the APIs that Twilio has built over the course of the last 10 years. What are the important value drivers within that API ecosystem? How do they work together? And what are the words that a salesperson needs to know to talk about that highly technical topic to a non-technical buyer? So we started there. And then from there, we started broadening beyond just critical product information to understanding the market in which those solutions play, understanding the competitors that people need to know to be credible on the phone, understanding how these things actually work together, and then the value of building things together as opposed to in individual silos. A lot of companies focus on tactics. We want to generate as many leaves as possible. We want to increase website views and we want a brand that's larger than life just because. But in this next bit, Claire talks about what she's learned thus far about building brands. And it's all about understanding why you do what you do. It may sound really simple and obvious, but the fact of the matter is not many people and companies do it. And separating yourself from the competition in everything that you do. And so kind of here's her advice and the lessons learned in that journey. Some of the things that I've definitely learned along the way um, from the perspective of, of creativity or solving problems in a new and interesting way is you always start with why. And I feel like lots of people say that, but not many people do it because it requires like a deep discipline to actually do the five whys around a problem. Like why is someone experiencing that? Well, why is that experience important? Well, why blah, 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 blah. Like doing the actual work to understand a problem deeply. And then from the perspective of, of actually solving a problem, I think starting backwards is something that many people also don't do. They don't think that it's even a thing that you can do. Whenever I talk to other marketers, I ask them why they're struggling. They say, well, we're doing all the things. We're publishing three blog posts a week. We're you know releasing this gated thing once a month. We're doing all the things, right? But they never actually stop to think about what outcome they're trying to drive. And so if you so they've built a best practices, quote unquote, solution based on all of this like I love HubSpot, but based on all this HubSpot stuff that says you should do this thing and that thing, and then maybe also these things, and then you'll suddenly have leads. They've never actually stopped to think about what the outcome they're trying to drive is and, and then why that outcome is important to their business and then actually design a solution that better supports that outcome than maybe doing what the best practices say. And then people who do do that generally, I think, see better results. And then I guess from the, the, the third thing that I would say that is the most important thing that I've learned is that stepping away from your competition is really important. I feel like one of the things that you just said earlier actually was deeply resonant to me, which is like, do you have experience writing about this topic? Or do you have experience writing for SaaS audiences? Who cares? Why does that matter? Because if, if you want to be different and you want people to pay attention to you, why would you write about the same things that your competition is writing about? It just makes literally no logical sense to me. I've never understood it. I think that some of the, the best brands in the world have really thought deeply about this and have stepped away intentionally from their competition. Uh, I think that right now, Lyft and Uber, this is happening, where Lyft has understood that talking about ride sharing and whatever is not the way to actually win a market, but talking about city planning might be. And I'm seeing this like clear bifurcation between these two competitors where one person is talking about X and the other one is talking about Y. And obviously you might lose some of your market that way, but you'll also open up an entirely new one. And so I'm, I'm, I'm always been very interested about why marketers stifle their people and force them to, or even their contributors. Like this was a core tenant of the Envision content marketing strategy 
was that we would intentionally step away from what our competition was talking about and we would not stifle anybody who wanted to contribute to us. We didn't have an editorial line, like our contribution process was completely backwards from what most people had experienced. And even that was enough to generate repeat authors because our experience was so different and so good to them. If there's anything practical to take away, like that is one, just like stop, stop SEO optimizing your shit, right? Like stop thinking about that and start thinking about the outcome that you're trying to drive. The best hires Claire has made are non-marketers. One was a former chef turned journalist and the other was a newspaper editor. Uh, and to be honest with you, these are some of the things that I've been saying for a really long time and that a lot of companies will say, do you have product marketing experience in the elastic storage business? Or do you have uh, you know, SaaS marketing experience with eight years you know, doing X, Y, and Z? And the fact of the matter is some of the best hires uh, that people make are ones from non-traditional backgrounds. And the reason this is so important is because there are many things that can be automated today, many things that can be taught or learned on the job. But creativity and critical thinking, these are two things that you can't automate according to Claire. And so here's how she thinks about hiring. What I look for in people when I'm hiring them is a set of inherent capabilities and culture fit as opposed to technical skill. Because I think that you can teach a really good brain pretty much anything. You can't teach someone how to be an amazing writer. You can't teach someone how to be like a naturally good designer. You can't teach someone how to build amazing front-end software. Like you can teach them how to code, but I think that there are people who have like an inherent sense of architecture who become really amazing front-end engineers as opposed to just someone who can code. So I would much rather if I was hiring someone and actually have several times, if I was hiring someone onto my team at Twilio, I would be looking for natural skill sets that they have that would support the outcomes I'm looking for in the role, as opposed to, can you do X? Because ultimately I don't care if you can do X, I can teach you how to do X. I care if you have this, the ability to do something that's more meaningful than just to check a box on a checklist. And on a similar note, Claire has managed nearly 30 people at Envision and now manages 10 at Twilio. So I was really interested in asking her about how she balances her own career ambitions with being a mentor and guide for her employees. And because for me, I've always been curious about whether or not it's black and white, that you're either an individual contributor or a manager as you progress in your career, uh, or if you can have the best of both worlds. My job as a manager of people is not necessarily to tell them what to do. It's to serve them. And that my number one deliverable is actually the output and performance of my team. So I consider my team to be my number one deliverable to a business. I don't really consider it. And because and why I think that is because if that is actually my focus and my number one deliverable, if I've hired well, then the people in the roles of, that are actually doing the work that I'm serving to help make them successful will drive the business outcome for the business. So like to me, my team is my number one deliverable. And it's the only thing I actually really care about. Obviously I care about hitting my numbers, but I'm not responsible solely for those numbers. My entire team is responsible, jointly responsible for those numbers. So to make that, make the, make the dream happen, I feel like the best way is to support the people actually doing the dream. And then from the perspective of, of pursuing my own career goals, like I said, my, my goal in life is to make meaningful change for people in the food and beverage industry. And that ultimately is managerial understanding uh, the business and being able to manage large groups of very diverse people is probably the number one skill that you need to actually do that. So uh, this is in service of that goal. I think from a creativity perspective, I always end up kind of falling into that land, like a sales enablement, right, is not a traditionally creative role. However, now that 
I've been given the freedom to actually expand and be impactful in different ways at Twilio. I actually have kind of reabsorbed some of those things that are more creative. And that's just because we execute and get things done. And if there's a need in the organization, they know that we can, they can come to us and we'll get it done. Beyond that, I'm a really huge fan of the side hustle. I personally have a side hustle. Uh, I'm a part-time founder of a startup. And having that extra creative outlet is incredibly beneficial to me. And it may, I think it makes me perform better at my nine to five job because I'm constantly pushed outside of the context of my nine to five and am forced to empathize with different people who have different perspectives, different needs in the market today that I'm also serving. So those are my, my two mindsets on the topic. One that, you know, my team is my deliverable and two side hustles are really good for you. And to close the podcast, I was super interested in kind of exploring the fact that all of my guests uh, on the podcast, even in its nascency, have been driven by a purpose that is bigger than themselves. It's fascinating, really. Uh, for Claire, it's that she's working towards taking over Silicon Valley so that she can ultimately head back to the food and beverage industry and change how it views and treats those that are undervalued and underrepresented uh, in that industry. And I think that her mission and her journey to go and do this is uh, just absolutely amazing. And just hearing her passion and how she thinks about you know change and what she wants to do back in the kitchen on a much larger scale is, uh, is really great. So I'll end it on kind of Claire's uh, mission-driven hopes for the future. Being a woman and a young woman in a pretty historically aggressive boys club in the Bay Area is really not great. It's not a great experience. So I, uh, I decided that even though food and beverage is my passion, I wanted to change the way the industry treated people and treated women and and actually try to create some meaningful change in, a, in an industry that I care a lot about. And I knew that I was never going to get there by working my way up the line for the next 12 years to become a sous chef. That's not actually going to create any meaningful change. It'll only give me like a very small area of influence. So I wanted to learn how to build massively scalable businesses so that I could take what I learned there and do the same thing I did with that and apply it to food. Uh, that kind of drives my everything. That's why I am where I am today. And uh, that's been, I'm on year seven of my 10 year plan to, <laughs> to achieve that. So uh, I'm really hoping that in the next, you know, five, five to seven years, maybe a little longer than the 10 year plan to be able to, you know, exit the space and actually create a meaningful brand that makes change for people in the food and beverage industry, serves the community in a new way.